The text we're looking at this morning is found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, uh, verses 38 through 42. Luke 10, 38 through 42. Again, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open them up or use the Pew Bible or iPad, telephone, or screen on the wall. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, and she sat at the Lord's feet and listened to, him, to, his, to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Let's pray together. Speak to us, O Lord, this morning from your word. O Holy Spirit, take the word and may it work us over well so that we might become more like Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. Last week, um, we looked at the story of the Good Samaritan and we were reminded of what it was meant to to uh, what it meant to be kind to our neighbor and define for us even how to love our neighbors. And the passage ended with the words that Jesus spoke to the lawyer that came to test him. And we actually concluded the service with those words with the thought that by the example of the Good Samaritan, we had set before us what we should do. And those words that Jesus spoke simply was go and do likewise. It prompts us to put hands and feet to our profession of faith, to go and to do. However, our going and doing has little value if we forget for whom it is we are going and doing. Luke's placement of this account that we just read which, by the way, doesn't appear in the other Gospels, um, serves to remind us, as readers of the text, that the Christian life is much more than just acts of kindness and dutiful service. It points back to the priority being Jesus. Loving him above everything else, giving ourselves to him, over our good deeds, over our sacred activities, over those things that we do even as uh, our busy labors in the name of the Lord, the work of the church. Our text mentions that they were on their way. We're not really sure where they're coming from, but it can be assumed with some certainty that their visit 
leaving Drew, possibly leaving Jerusalem, but landing actually in Bethany. And, and it needs to probably be recognized that this visit to Bethany isn't the week or the visit prior to the week where he would suffer and be crucified. Matter of fact, at least the best I can tell, the scriptures record at least three separate visits that Jesus made to Bethany. The Gospel of John gives us evidence that um, this took place in Bethany and also uh, with the family that is mentioned in the text. Luke refers to the house as being her house or Martha's house. And it's believed by a lot of scholars that Martha was probably a widow and the house was hers uh, and that her sister, younger sister Mary, and her brother Lazarus was living there with her. Yeah, this is the same Lazarus that, again, we read in the Gospel of John where Jesus would approach the grave and say, come forth, which will probably be part of our Easter message. It was a place where the Lord, you remember the one who had no place to lay his head? The Lord would find to be a retreat, a place where he would be among those whom he loved and among those who loved him dearly. The text hints that there's some excitement about his entry into the home. As we can imagine, Martha, who extended the invitation, hurrying through the house to quickly become engaged in preparing the meal for her guest. Some authors believe, again, or commentaries believe, that the disciples might have also been present and invited to that meal. However, the number, Martha took it as her call to get it done and get it done well. The excitement is also portrayed in how we recognize the uh, welcome that Mary would give to Jesus, to somehow just kind of directing him to the seat of honor, and then finding herself sitting at his feet, just taking it all in and enjoying his presence. Mary sitting there to hear him teach and to be at his feet. The contrast of what happened in the front room, where Mary sat quietly listening to the words of her Lord, and the noise of the hurried preparations for the meal from the rear of the house, I think sets the stage for Martha to take the opportunity to to vent her frustrations (laughs) and possibly anger. As she leaves her work, wiping her hands with the towels, standing over Mary and standing in front of Jesus. She says, not to Mary, but addresses Jesus. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. I hear a controlled voice just trying to, to, to somehow, you know, uh, tame the emotions that are bu- building up inside. You know, when I, when I read those words, uh, the first thing that came to my mind is how often these words can represent our approach to Jesus. 
especially in our prayer life when things aren't really going well. We address him as Lord, and we say to him, don't you care? Don't you care about what's happening to me? Don't you care about the struggles that I'm dealing with? Don't you care about the hurt that I'm carrying? Don't you care of what I'm going through, what I'm suffering from? Jesus, if you care, cared, you'd do something about it. Our impatience with Jesus somehow to arrest the situations we find ourselves in as if those were the priorities. Things that we want done. And like Martha, we are quick to also tell Jesus how he should take care of it. <laughs> Martha is telling Jesus, tell my sister to get up off the floor and come back here and help me get the work done. Well, our situation may be completely different than Martha's, but we find ourselves in these places where it's really not going well for us, and we're ready to tell Jesus how to take care of it. We lay before him our plans as to how he can solve the situation. <laughs> the awkwardness of the moment is arrested by the calm and gentle response of our Lord Jesus as he tenderly speaks to Martha. First, by just simply speaking her name, not once, but twice. It reminds me somehow of the loving parent who is able to diffuse the temper tantrum by speaking to their child in a soothing and caring way. He says, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. He gives attention to her complaint and acknowledges how she is feeling anxious and troubled as she has taken on a multiple amount of tasks that for her right now are overwhelming. And she wants Jesus to fix it. But instead of responding to the situation as Martha would have him to do, he points out a more helpful and purposeful solution. As important as the perfect meal may have appeared to Martha, the one thing that is of most importance is simply time with him. Not to shame Martha, but only to illustrate the choice between service for him or devotion to him. Mary chose what was best and what was lasting. Martha's self-appointed responsibilities distracted her from what really mattered most. She brought it upon herself. And as often, it's the same for us. These self-imposed necessities that we bring upon ourselves, maybe simply trying to, to meet the daily demands that are upon us, or are we overextending ourselves of things that we think we should be doing or want to be doing? And even in the ministry, pastors, workers in the church, find themselves in overload because so much has to be done. 
And, and eventually what happens is that serving becomes drudgery. It becomes burdensome. And that was never the Lord's intent for us to find our work for the Lord to be burdensome. The one thing that is needed, the one thing that is better is listening to Jesus, listening to his words, or to say it another way, hearing the word of God. I think I've shared this story with you before where I had the opportunity to speak at a campground in northern Maine. And in the tabernacle, as you stand at the pulpit, there's a sign that's about one-third into the sanctuary from the back of the church. And it reads from the pulpit side, preach the word. (laughs) But on the other side, for the congregation to see, it says, be ye doers of word and not hearers only. Well, I think that's good instruction, but I think we've got to put things in perspective here. You can't be a doer of the word until you hear the word. You can't do the word as it's supposed to be done until hearing it becomes a part of the motivation behind what you're doing. The highest priority for all of us, especially those who measure our devotion by activity or by service or by deeds of kindness, must not neglect the time needed for reflection and meditation the time that's simply needed to spend at the feet of Jesus. We're so much in a hurry, or or so much putting the demand on ourselves to get it done, when all Jesus is saying, let's take some time out here and spend some time together. The Word of God, as it's already been mentioned in a number of venues this morning, is the bread of life. And it was what was not to be taken from Mary. In in, in the sixth chapter of the Gospel of John, Jesus is addressing a crowd of people that have been following him now for some time. And they're they're following him now, however, for a second feeding. It it comes right after the feeding of the 5,000. And Jesus addresses this crowd. He says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. You want more. And then he goes on to say, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. In his address to the crowd, he introduces himself as the bread of life. He said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger. Whoever believes in in me shall never thirst. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of this world is my flesh. And whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. And if you, read, if you read that section in chapter 6 of John, you'll recognize that John occasionally just makes a f- kind of an, an interjection of, of the response of the people as Jesus is, is sharing this conversation, this, this discussion with them, this teaching. 
And you, you, you get a sense that these people are becoming more and more upset with him and challenging him and what he's saying about him being the bread of life. And then there's this response that's John, that John records, which has to be one of the most heartbreaking moments in the life of Christ. It begins with verse 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. You just wonder what the Lord's feeling right now. These people have been following him so long. He has been sharing so much of himself with him. He's introduced to them the way to eternal life. And they walk away. So Jesus said to his twelve, Do you want to go away as well? And listen to what Simon Peter says. Lord, to whom shall we go? And here it is. You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. You'll remember Jesus on another occasion referring to this bread. It occurred when we were discussing um, the temptations that Jesus went through. And, and the Gospel of Matthew records this statement that Jesus made while he's in the wilderness. Jesus said, it is written, man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus is addressing his enemy, Satan himself, by simply saying, it's not the tangible, it's not the temporal, it's the things that really matter are the eternal, the very eternal, unchanging word of God. That's the bread of life. What Mary learned and received that day came about as she simply sat at the feet of Jesus. Some time ago, I read through the Gospels, looking for others who found themselves at the feet of Jesus. And I made a note of those things that were experienced, received, by those who are sitting at the feet of Jesus. Just a side note here, I owe Dawn a bit of, of apology because I shared these thoughts at a, at a devotion uh, at ACGC. But Dawn, repetition is a good teacher. We have just read, learning takes place at the feet of Jesus. We read, and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to his teaching. Learning comes from being at the feet of Jesus. Early in our study, or beginning this uh, journey through the Gospel of Luke, we address another situation where Simon Peter fell before Jesus, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Confession comes as we find ourselves at the feet of Jesus, recognizing the state we are in, and how we must confess and repent of that state as we find ourselves before Christ. 
One of my favorite stories in the Gospel of Luke is the healing of Legion, the man who was possessed with numerous evil spirits. And after Jesus healed Legion, we read this. The people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus in his right mind. Right-mindedness comes by simply being at the feet of Jesus. And certainly we know by example throughout the Gospels, healing comes by being at the feet of Jesus. Matthew 15.30 reads, And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and they put them at his feet that he may heal them. Intercession is accomplished at the feet of Jesus. There's a scene again where Jesus is going through the town. He's approached by Jairus, a a leader of the synagogue, and he, he falls before Jesus at his feet. And he pleads for the life of his daughter. He fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My daughter, she's at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may, may well be, may be, be made well and live. Intercession at the feet of Jesus. And in that, and in that same uh, setting where Jesus is addressing the needs of this, this uh, troubled father for the sake of his daughter, there's this woman in the crowd And she's thinking to herself, if I can only touch the hem of his garment, she reaches through the crowd and touches Jesus as he goes goes by, and Jesus says, who touched me? And the disciples are stunned and says, who touched you? Look at this crowd. And Jesus says, no, I felt the power go from me. And listen to this. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling, falling down before him, declaring in the presence of all people why she had touched him. And she had been, made, made, been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Oh, so much was experienced as that woman was at the feet of Jesus. She was healed for number one. Number two, she found boldness at the feet of Jesus to profess that she was the one who touched his, his garment. She also was able to say, as Jesus pointed out, in faith. She reached through the crowd to touch the hem of the garment. And the, and the greatest gift of all, Jesus says, go in peace, discovering all this at the feet of Jesus. Gratitude. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along by Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw that Saw them, he said to them, go and show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed, healing again. Then on the way, when they saw that they were cleaned and healed, cleansed and healed, turned back, one turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and fell at the feet of Jesus, giving thanks. Gratitude is expressed at the feet of Jesus. Being mindful of all that he has done for us, At the feet of Jesus, we can say, thank you, Lord. Worship at the feet of Jesus. And standing behind him, at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with her hair and and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. At the feet of Jesus, worship 
takes place. A little later, this same Mary that we just talked about, we read that Mary therefore took a, a pound of expensive ointment made of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Uninhibited, unrestricted, unrestrained worship happens at the feet of Jesus. And one of the most moving pictures of one who finds himself at the feet of Jesus is a centurion, a Roman soldier, who is standing before Christ as he is strung out on a cross, and the earth quakes and the sky turns dark. And we read that they were filled with awe, and the centurion says, Truly, this was the Son of God. Discovery takes place at the feet of Jesus. We discover who he is by spending time at the feet of Jesus. I am convinced that there is no better place to be than at the feet of Jesus. One of the portions, a portion of one of Pastor Matt's favorite scriptures I want to read to you this morning. From Philippians 2, 9, and, 9 through 11. You see, the invitation is given for everyone to come to the feet of Jesus. And there are those that we know have not made that decision yet or choose to find themselves at the feet of Jesus. But we read, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name. And here it is. So that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The day is coming. Believer and unbeliever alike will find themselves at the feet of Jesus. Amen.